Hello, and welcome to this edition of the Secure Networks, the Index Packet Forensic Files with your host, Michael Morris. Our special guest for this episode is Michael Walmansberger, cybersecurity consultant and former CISO of Air New Zealand. Michael, welcome. Thank you for joining. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and your background? Hi, it's my pleasure to join you. Um, right now, I'm, I guess I'd call myself an independent management consultant, but uh, in, in my background, I've been a, a psychology student. Uh, I've been, a, a, I guess, an IT worker, and then I moved into cybersecurity for a couple of years in engineering and OPSEC and, and then architecture, and, and then more recently as a CISO. So I've had a couple of tours of duty as a chief information security officer. Uh, and um, also a, a really fortunate um, career accident landed me on a couple of boards, including uh, the board of Internet NZ, which is our country code domain name manager here. So build up a bit of uh, I guess a broader experience in that way outside of IT and security as well. No, your, your background is just exceptional for this. And we're so happy and lucky to have you as a guest on our, our podcast series. So you do cybersecurity consulting now and have this tremendously broad background. Let's start off by talking about what are some common or recurring network security issues as you talk to clients that everyone's running into? I think the biggest high-level theme at the moment is, is just the change from a, a perimeter model of, of networks and IT security to uh, a deperimatized or cloud-focused or remote uh, model. And, and that's obviously no news to anyone who's been working in IT uh, for the last 10 years, but that's really sort of, I think, the theme of what's still playing out. So we've got a lot of investments in security programs and security technology that are focused on uh, putting security in around the network, around the perimeter. And suddenly our users, and in particular, this has accelerated, obviously, through COVID, uh, not on the network, they're at home. And our applications are not in the data center, they're in the cloud. And so just how organizations uh, reorient their thinking and their security programs to that reality is uh, still a challenge that's really playing out. Yeah. So on that, are there systemic or foundational elements that many organizations can, that they have that causes them to continue or propagate some of these issues? Yeah, there, there absolutely are. And I think um, the more, it's, you know, it's been my privilege a lot in the last few years to work with lots of different organizations. So both as a, as a practitioner and a CISO in organizations and as a consultant consulting to organizations. And as I've gone around, I've started to see, I guess, some of these uh, broader and, and deeper issues that are patterns. Uh, so one that uh, certainly affects us down here in this part of the world is, um, is just our sourcing of IT security so, and, and talent. Uh, so a lot of you know, our managed service providers are still very much you know, focusing their services on that perimeter model of the world. Uh, and getting, you know, um, getting people, whether, whether you're a managed service provider trying to hire people to sell into your customers or whether you're an enterprise trying to hire a security team, uh, that market for talent has just got, just got pretty tight. Uh, I think that's true the world over, but it's, it's absolutely yeah. true here. So getting, um, you know, IT services that are fit for purpose from a security point of view is, is quite challenging. I and mean, it's, it's strange that in this, um, you know, IT market, we have to buy an IT service and then bolt security on. You go out and buy a car, right? It comes with seatbelts. You just, you just expect that. And it's kind of on the manufacturer to make sure their products are safe and fit for purpose. So, um, you know, I think we've got a long way to go in terms of constructing IT services that really are, you know, safe and secure from, from design. Um, and I think, you know, when you look at how enterprises are managing security, there's, there's some things we need to sort of go back to in HR and finance. A lot of our challenges really stem from 
and not having the right incentives in place, whether that's through procurement or not having the right resources. A lot of security teams are just really trying to tackle too many things with too few resources and they're getting really spread quite thin. Uh, and I think, you know, looking at the, the skills we have, um, you know, we just haven't been investing enough in people um, because the world keeps changing on us so fast, right? So the, the skills that you need are uh, advancing day by day. And if we're not really backing our people with the time and the training and the experience and uh, frankly, the sort of working relationships, the collaborative relationships between, you know, people who are growing their skills and people who've got experience, then we're just not setting ourselves up for success. No, that's that's really good insight. I love that analogy too of the car with no seatbelts. <laughs> <But, laughs> yeah. And I, I IT service without a security plan. Um, I'll have to remember that one. So, what are some uh, some things you recommend as as you're consulting with with organizations? You recommend to other CISOs to really elevate their organization's cybersecurity maturity. Yeah, if I think about what I recommend to CISOs personally, particularly CISOs are perhaps in a in a new role. Uh, is, you know, and most new CISOs in an organization have got a real challenging set of prioritization decisions to make. You know, do you, um, do you focus on the incident that's happening? Do you focus on your operations capability? Do you sort of, do you get some policy in place? Where, where, do, you know, where do you start? Right. And uh, on reflection, you know, over my career, I, I think that the thing you just can't do without as a CISO is your relationship with your stakeholders and senior management. So if there's anything I'd say to, a, to an individual CISO in a role is just prioritize building up that trust and rapport with your stakeholders. Because if the first time you're rocking up to the chief executive is to tell you know her or him that the world's on fire and you need all their money, then uh, that's going to be a tough conversation. If you've kind of um, established, set some expectations and established an agreement about, hey, well, what is cybersecurity? What, what does the organization want to achieve? Um, what's the job you want the CISO to do? Um, that can you know, sort of really pay dividends down the, down the track. At a more general level, I think as an organization, the one thing I've seen organizations that are really making progress, say, as opposed to those that are struggling doing differently, is setting up these cross-functional governance groups. So often in a, you know, CISO will report up through their management structure, but often you know, we still think too much of security as being an IT problem. And really it, it's, it's a broader organizational problem. And what a, a governance group of, of senior management stakeholders does is it gives the CISO an audience to provide information, um, that group can hold the CISO to account for providing strategic information and clear information. Often it's really easy for, for, for IT and security people to surface up too much technical information. Yeah. And then that um, group of stakeholders can become quite invested in the, the transformation you're trying to make and, and, and drive that through their business units as well. So I think that makes a real difference. No, that's, that's a great point, having that cross-functional buy-in of, of the plan. It, it, it can't all be on the CISO, right? So... Yeah. Um, what are some differences of organizations that are really succeeding versus organizations yeah. that are more struggling? Yeah, so one is obviously that, that cross-functional governance group. Yeah. Um, the second one is um, really where the CISO reports. There's a lot of debate in the security industry about uh, you know, where the CISO should report in the org structure, and I think there's no right answer. But the general trend in successful organizations is they've got that CISO in a role where they have influence across the organization and they have access to other senior managers. If your CISO is buried way too down in IT, they're just not going to get the airtime or the access yeah. or um, it's just going to be too hard for them to have those conversations across the organization. And then sort of the, the one that I'm really just coming around to now is um, 
starting to observe that the most successful organizations are shifting their language away from cybersecurity and risk towards words like trust and resilience, confidence. Uh, and I think that's really important um, because, you know, talking, even just personally, talking about the downside and the dark side of IT security has kind of been fun. Um, but after about a decade, it starts to affect your mood. So, you know, talking more about the trust and confidence we have with our customers and stakeholders or the resilience of the services we're providing, it's just a bit more upbeat. And yeah. uh, I, I think that really becomes important when you're going to an organization asking for resources. You can't just be doing it on the, the doom and gloom. No, that that's... Uh, an excellent point on that. It's always the positive outlook versus the, the fear uh, and and concern. <laughs> so on that, um, I, I often hear and I talk to SecOps teams and I, I see example after example where their teams are trying to run before they can really walk. What are some basic elements that that you believe every SecOps teams need to start with or have in place before they start moving up the sophistication change shall we say yeah i think that's uh that's a pretty um common and really really significant challenge for secops teams and CISOs. as as you you think there's always things you should do and they're really hard to choose between they're hard to prioritize and so you tend to get used to you know tackling everything and um and and trying to do more than you can and it's kind of, it's obvious, it's self-evidently true, right? But you can only do what you can do and what you have capacity to do and the prioritization is really important. So I think having, um, you know, having a sense of what those most fundamental controls are like MFA, um, you know, patching known software vulnerabilities and getting those things to be done really effectively and really efficiently uh, are really important. Um, and the other thing I think about is, you know, if you've got a large IT estate, you might have hundreds or even in the thousands of systems. Well, it's just not feasible with most organizations' resources to treat all of those equally. So getting a really clear sense of, um, you know, if we can't do everything, what are the first most important five systems we've got in this organization? And are we, do we have multi-factor authentication for those where it's appropriate? Do we have vulnerability management flows? And kind of working down those critical controls lists for those top systems, um, getting them under, you know, um, really good security monitoring and alerting and having good incident response playbooks for those top systems. Uh, I think we can sort of focus the work of the security ops team in particular on stuff that's achievable. And then we can kind of claim success and build momentum from there. So that's how I'm thinking about that now. No, that's a, that's a great point. I was talking to somebody else earlier this week and the whole asset management, asset prioritization was, was a big on their list as well. So um, interesting theme I, I keep hearing across the industry. So on the ind- uh, security analyst training front, um, where do you see, because you mentioned training in your earlier comments, you know, in the, in the, uplo- the level of skills, where do you see most organizations lacking there? And what do you re- recommend they do to elevate their team skill sets? I think one of the um, conceptual things we haven't been getting through is that security is not a job. It's like a whole industry of jobs. So if you think about it in construction, right, there's there's builders, there's plumbers, there's electricians, there's architects, there's engineers, there's management consultants. And, you know, not everyone has the same personality or the same skills or the same aptitudes or the same level of training. And there's there's no better or worse than that. It's just there's different jobs and they have different uh, skills and they require different um, personalities. And I think the same is true in, um, in security. You know, a, um, a person who's going to be a SecOps analyst needs a, a certain type of um, skill and training and experience. Someone who's a pen tester 
probably got quite a different personality. You know, one is probably a person who uh, can put up with lots of repetitive stuff and can dive into the detail and doesn't mind that. And a penetration tester is just going to be a rule breaker. Uh, and then that goes all the, I guess, you know, all the way out to people who have, you know, um, CISO capabilities and management consultants. They're really quite a different, you know, level of skill set. So mm. some people you really need to be, you know, degree qualified, and other people really need uh, trades training. And you know, the, you you know, maybe go through a career path where they have a range of different jobs and build up some experience, and then and and then sort of grow into more senior roles. It's um, yeah, it's just not a one size fits all training opportunity. No, and I, I noticed it ties to something else you said earlier as well about um, you know connecting the different IT organizations and the skill sets across those as well. So um, no, that's that's really good insight. So Michael, you've you've been in this industry, you've you've battled the into the trenches of security. Looking forward a little bit, what's one thing you recommend to our listeners they look out for or really think about uh, in terms of cybersecurity over the next? six to 18 months. And I know that's an eternity in, in <laughs> cybersecurity, but uh, if you're, if you're, you know, forecasting for them of really one thing to think about, what, what's, what's on that list for you? Yeah. And in that period, I think it's, uh, it's really just understanding sort of the scale and persistence we're likely to see. So I, I did a bit of research recently um, for a job and came across some, some stats that may be pause. And one of them is, you know, around about now we've got like 50% of the population in the world is connected to the internet. In 10 years time, it'll be something like 90%, but you know, half that growth could be occurring in the next two years. So if you think about um, the risks of people in, in low-income countries who've just got their first smartphone with access to the internet and are now being exposed to social media manipulation or people who can put a really low value on their time and have an economic incentive to, to get into the, you know, the, the dark world of cybercrime. I just think that there's potential for that scale to increase. And also the, you know, the established players have got a business model uh, and they'll be optimizing for growth. So I think we're just going to see a lot more of the greatest hits, you know, ransomware, business email compromise coming at us. Um, yeah. And that's an extension of a trend, I think, of the last five years where there are issues that I used to worry about theoretically. And then sort of five years later, they became daily problems. And I think right. we're just going to see that, you know, take off. Yeah. No, that's, that's a, a scary outlook, but accurate. And I can't believe some of that data. That's uh, uh, unbelievable. I mean, if you think about it. Michael, thank you for taking a little time out of your day. I certainly appreciate you spending a little time and insight with us in how better to secure networks. We'd ask our listeners to tune in next time for another edition of the Endace Packet Forensic Files. For more information about Endace's network packet capture platform and our integrations with our Fusion Technology partners, please go to endace.com. Michael, again, thanks for joining us and have a great day. Thank you, my pleasure.